On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Amelia Pisanza. Amelia is a full-time book publicist and part-time writer currently living in Brooklyn with her cat. Her work has appeared in The Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Electric Literature, The Millions, and NPR's Invisibilia. Her first book, Lesbian Love Story, a memoir in archives, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Amelia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited. So tell us a little bit about Lesbian Love Story. It was a project that I started very much as a personal one. So it's kind of amazing to me that there are now other people reading it. Who've read it. Yeah. Talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, kind of surreal. Um, But it started because I moved to New York City after college and New York City is a very queer city. Um, And as I was trying to sort of find queer community and learn more about queer history, I realized that I didn't know specifically about the lesbians in queer history, and they weren't always the ones front and center in various stories. And so I decided that I wanted to go find them. Um, And I've always loved rom-coms. Growing up, another space where I think there are not nearly enough lesbians. So I particularly was looking for romances and love stories in the archives because that's kind of what makes stories feel alive. Yeah, that, uh, hence the love story. But hence tell me about story. the structure of the book because it's really a hybrid, right? It is not a non straight nonfiction book. It is, but it's not memoir. It's but it's got personal bits of you and then plus the research. So tell me how you knew that was the way to tell this story. Yeah. Well, I think our relationship to queer history is shaped so much by like silences and secrets as much as it's shaped by what we do actually know for certain. So as I was trying to seek out these stories, there was a lot of trying to read between the lines um, and the, the book has kind of seven love stories, plus I'm also a character, so maybe I'm like the eighth lesbian <laughs> in there. And um, I did predominantly focus on people who used the word lesbian themselves in some way. So that part wasn't the guesswork. Um, but, you know, the first woman that I wrote about, Mary Casal, she wrote her memoir because these two men who were just like had like an amateur interest in sexuality asked her to and they edited it so that's already this layer of having to kind of wonder what did they edit out and when she says things about like exchanging little kisses you know with her um sort of wife figure juno it leaves me to wonder okay was that right edited by these two men was it sort of self-censored in that way because she knew what the time was like um so i think that's kind of how the memoir piece came in um it's sort of like in this longing for community and this longing for historical community as i was trying to read those silences and secrets um i had to bring myself in because i think the way the things that i imagined the kisses mm-hmm. that i imagined um, were very much informed by my own experiences. Yeah. You know, like with Mary, she does talk about her like summer girl when she was growing up, um, who she very much had a crush on and kissed. And she doesn't describe that yeah. first kiss, or at least not in sort of the rom-com yeah. terms that yeah. I would want. Yeah. So I made that up for her and then I was like, wait, am I just borrowing from my own memories? Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's such an effective way to 
weave together the past and the present. It, it really worked for me. And one of the other things that you really grapple with in this book, which is something this entire podcast grapples with, is kind of the, the word, the definition of one thing not being one thing, right? Like Kate and I... Oh, I yeah, love that phrase. Kate and yeah. I are t- two women, yet we are so incredibly different. But it's it, you can't deny that there is a commonality, like a, a, a kind of an impenetrable bond between all women and people who identify as women. But there's also so much discrepancy and so much nuance and so many differences. The Venn diagram can actually be kind of small. And I, I know noticed while reading this that there was a lot of that in the term lesbian for you, uh, that you discovered how some people defined it, what pe- some people thought should incl- it, that term should include and then definitely not include. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I love that phrase of sort of like the change in meaning of a very simple word. And then also what, you know, like, you and I probably have very different personal experiences and feelings about being a woman in the same way yeah. that you and Kate yeah. do. And I think that then once you introduce the element of time as oh, yeah. well, right, there's that's even more changes. Cause I, I think I was surprised um, to sort of start this project with someone at the turn of the century, Mary Casal, because I think so much of queer history focuses on what happened after Stonewall, because there was so much more yeah. language and awareness and sort of gathering together of community. Um, so, you know, it was kind of wild and sort of stretched my my own preconceptions to go back that far, because I think I grew up kind of with the 70s feminist definition of lesbian, which could be for some people very narrow there were the lesbian separatists who kind of created communities where they didn't even speak to men right. you know <laughs> which is a really high sort of bar to clear um but you know going back to mary who had a husband because that's what the time yeah. dictated she really wanted to have yeah. a child um it was so different for her. And like in the in the middle of the book, I do go all the way back to Sappho. Yeah. And I think a little bit of a less serious way because there's so little that's known about her. Um, but, you know, if, if we're thinking of her as the origin of the word, like she also had a husband maybe and a kid. And then, you know, the first usage, go, being my really nerdy sort of etym- etymological mm. self, um, the first usage of the word was in this poem called The Toast, um, which was kind of like roasting this woman who had like won a legal dispute with the author. And he calls her a lesbian, but like she also has a husband who's Aries, the god of war. He also calls her a hermaphrodite. So like lesbians seem to be just kind of this insult about like not being a woman in the mm. right way and maybe didn't even have to do with sexuality. sexuality. Right. She was a witch. Um, so yeah, I... I did try and kind of trace how like sometimes lesbian meant huge groups of people who maybe had very different gender identities and sexualities. And we have so much, so many more words now to sort of parse that apart and for people to kind of claim their individual identities in a beautiful way. But before that distinction kind of became refined, lesbian was really a catch all for a lot of 
different people are even like in Babe Diedrichson's time. She's this incredible athlete who kind of grew up during the Great Depression. Um, you know, she really was like scrutinized in the press for being muscular and hairy and like a man. And that was enough to consider her a lesbian, right. you know, like. Right. And I think today we would really separate those two things. So, yeah, it was it means a lot um, of different things over time and to different people. But there was, I think, in the end, like what you're saying, there is something that sort of resonated. And I think ultimately for me in these stories, it was people's kind of commitment to finding like safe havens when they were being you know, marginalized or scrutinized for being bad at being a woman. They really banded together in different yeah. ways. If, um, if I could read, yes, if I could read a little bit of that, I love there's a paragraph towards the end where you are kind of, and, and I'm going to go back to, to you a little bit more, but this paragraph towards the end, the lesbians I met had something else to teach me. They are tied together by more than a shared sexuality, a shared identity, or even a shared vision of romantic love. They are also bound together by their ability to create safe havens, even in even the most hostile circumstances, buried projects that were a direct response to the systems that tried to trap and trade women. I am in awe of what they have done. I thought that was just beautiful. And yet another layer, right? This isn't, this isn't about appearance. This isn't about sexuality. At the end of the day for you, it sounds like this was about the women and the people who are willing to kind of make those safe havens, to go out on their own, to kind of stake their claim and say, you know, this is, I I don't conform to what you think I should. And that's, that's great. That's wonderful, in fact, right? Yeah, and when I... I talked to um, Joan Nessel, who's kind of like a hero of mine, and I was very bashful and nervous to speak to her. And she's the founder of the, one of the co-founders of the Lesbian History Archives. And she, and I were talking and I was saying, oh, you know, when people ask me about this project, they say like, what were these lesbians famous for? You know, like, is it Emily Dickinson? Is it Eleanor Roosevelt? Um, Is it Ellen DeGeneres? (laughs) And, you know, so I sort of, presented her with this question that other people were asking me kind of as a cheat and she sort of turned it around and she said you know I the point of the archives was to break from this idea of fame and for these women and lesbians you know what she said was like the bravery to touch another woman was fame enough and I loved that and I think for me it's sort of like the bravery to like take care of each other and to take that risk every day is also kind of Yes, absolutely. And I feel like that really comes through throughout the book. Um, I also love your, as as deep into history as you went, you also have some a Drake reference. <laughs> like, I love that. That And I mean, talking about words shifting, you know, like Drake came out with a song where he's like, I'm a les- or like you say you're a lesbian, me too. And I'm like, well, if we want to be inclusive, like what what is too far? In right. And is <laughs> allowing Drake to be a lesbian too far? Right. And if you the know? definition if it were up to me. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, if, if it were up to me, I'd be like, yes, that is too yeah. far. Yeah, right. But I'm not the sole arbiter right. of who gets But it shows be. the flaw in the definition of like being just solely outward looking, like, you love only women okay that includes every man 
right? Or not every man, but that includes so many men. And so that can't be the right definition either. Um, I love that. Uh, so over the course of the book, you struggle with kind of finding a, a universal or a general definition of, of lesbian, but also you, you really openly wrestle with how you use that identity and how you, and there are so many moments I was struck in the book where it was clear that it felt right to you kind of like bodily, like, yes, this lands for me. I get it. You know, like the, the word, the, the label, the identity, but then you would get in your head and be like, well, I don't, I don't check these boxes and I, I miss this criteria. And so maybe I'm not. And even in, in the very last chapter, you're still kind of hedging. But I loved this section in the middle. If I could read a little bit again. Uh, you said, the word lesbian is one I can't get enough of. Lesbian bar, lesbian movie, lesbian romance, lesbian sex, lesbian feminist, lesbian separatist. It is a word that the lesbians of the coming decades will use more often as they seek each other out for dates and for solidarity. Always an homage to our patron saint, to our namesake, and as full of contradictions and inconsistencies as the rest of us. Do you feel like by the end of this journey, writing this book, you could really fully feel that was integrated into not only the work that you produce, but yourself? Yeah, well, and I also just, hearing you talk about this, I'm like, I also just love this word. Like, it's so, so sounding. There aren't a lot of other words in English that sound like it. I'm like, thespian. Like, there's sort of this, like, this. Yeah, it just, it makes me giggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I almost think that that's kind of what has become integrated. I'm like, with all the contradictions and sort of like you're the hedging and the not being certain. I'm like, well, I think I just like it because it sounds silly. And sometimes it makes people a little, like, uncomfortable. And I'm like, that's yeah. enough for me, you know? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm after. Yes. Oh, I love that. I'm all for that. And what about, well, I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about, there's one little um, text message, right? And it kind of sends you down a rabbit hole a little bit. There's um, a hookup looking for full-blown lesbians only. Now, I feel like this text might have been written by kind of a famous for putting our foot in our mouth, Aries, <laughs> because, right? Like, the there may... Now, I don't know what this person intended to say, but there is a practical consideration part of it, right? Maybe this person just didn't want, uh, and I'll say, talk about myself, because sometimes when I say, oh, someone wants to be in a writer writer's group, I'm like, oh, great. Now, I don't want to say serious writers only or full-blown writers only, but it is a different situation when you come to me and you're not reading you know, 25 to 50 books a year and you're not, you've never completed a full length anything. It's just a different stage. And I, I'm looking to engage where I am right now. And so I don't know. I just thought that was so funny. You were like, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> right? Yeah. When it, was, it was even actually from a queer yes. dating Lex. app yes. with Lex. That's kind of like a throwback to personal ads and there have been some updates to it since writing the book, but at that time there weren't even really photos, right? I think it was trying to turn the idea 
of online dating on its head. Because I, I do think like one piece of the book too, which this, you know, looking at this personal ad comes from is me sort of being like, what do I want in a partner yes. or a relationship or sort of like, even what is the, lo- what is the lesbian piece, but also what is the love piece? And I, I don't get into this that much in the book, but I think there is this thread of online dating where it's like, Oh, you can pick someone out. Like, you, you know, like I think when, I don't know if it's still this way, but like when it was like, okay, Cupid, you could like sort people by their height, right? You could be like, I don't right. want to date anyone under five, four. <laughs> you know? and I, that was like a big concern for a lot of straight women that I knew. They're, you know, they're like, I want a boyfriend who's taller than me. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that like this sentiment in this ad wasn't specific to lesbians, but I think also spoke to me in terms of like, do we all know what right. we want? Like in this era right. where you can go on Amazon and be like, I would like, you know, a bath mat that's yellow. <laughs> yes. and- fuzzy and machine washable and here it is and I can order it to my door and you know two dollar signs what are we losing out on by sort of picking really specific experiences for ourselves and dating and online shopping just you know all around I love that and I think that is true that we are when we are specific we are missing out on I think that my husband sometimes jokes with me like that I have very strong opinions loosely held because it's good to know what you want, but you have, but it, it, it does serve you to be open to many other things because you don't know what's going to come along. Right. Yeah. And I think like full blown lesbian to me also sounds really coded of like, who are you yeah. trying to exclude? You're not actually saying like, you know, are, are they, do they mean like bisexual? Right. Not a plan. <laughs> right people who are just right, coming out, right. you know, like, who are you trying to exclude? And by not naming it, are you trying to like, you know, mask your own bias? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could have written a whole chapter about same, just same. that. I, it, I, it really stuck with me. And I, because like you, I think, I suspect I like to really unpack those things. Like, what do you mean? Especially with economy of words, as was this, you know, kind of dating app. Yeah, but is there some transphobia going on what? that that person didn't want to, yeah. you know, be upfront about? They're trying to mask yeah. it. What yeah. is, or is there, or do they have their own insecurity? Like, I, I can't teach someone how to be a lesbian. I'm still looking to, to figure it out, too. So I need someone who's, like, fully entrenched in their ownership of that identity because I don't know how to do this myself. Right. It is, I love unpacking those things and looking at it from so many different perspectives because, there are so many and there's so much more room for interpretation um, in those little little bits. I want to talk about something that you talk about very beautifully in your experience of kind of wearing the identity of lesbian, but that also really extends way beyond sexuality. Uh, and I know because I've had this conversation many times, although I have had it about sexuality too. I want to read a little, little bit more if that's okay with you. So this is you, um, high school and college, th- this section, um, and talking about kind of really owning that, that identity, but also not having experienced it fully. So you write, we were theoretical lesbians, future tense, all words and no deed. By all accounts, we didn't measure up. 
Neither of us had slept with a woman. Truth be told, I didn't know much more about lesbians than what the middle school girls had whispered, than the myths and legends, than the hiss of the word spat out at me. Still, something about the label felt right. Now, I want to talk about this because it, it's, it is funny. I've had this conversation, and I did have it with a woman who was discovering her attraction to women later in life. Um, and she was exploring it kind of intellectually first. And then she was like, okay, I'm sure. And now I will go and experience it. And her experience was very much in line with what she had thought about. I am the opposite. And this is sexuality. This is where I'm going to live. This is anything. I can't possibly research or, or think about something enough And then I get there and it can be so different. I can't know something until I've experienced it. But yet I've witnessed my... Because you're an Aries. Yeah, I do. So she's also a Scorpio, by the way. Let me tell you. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm sensing something here. But yeah, it's true. Aries are very much about doing and experiencing. And the action is kind of part of who they are. But... Is this always a thing for you that you can kind of read about something, research something, and then you're almost preparing yourself for the experience and then you get there and the experience is kind of like really on target? I mean, a bit when you were asking me about the project, I feel like a big part of the project that I left out is that like my mom was a librarian for a long time and now she's a bookseller and my dad was a classics or is still a classics professor. Um, and so I grew up in this house full of books, and I think that their attitude actually was like, if curious about an experience or trying to figure something out, the, the arena where you can do that is through reading. And I think that that's also what led me to be like, okay, I'm here in New York, and I'm looking for, you know, lesbian history and lesbian community. And I didn't think to myself, okay, the space to do that is to like, go join SAGE, which is this nonprofit organization that kind of like pairs young queer people with queer elders to sort of share, you know, like I I never, for a moment, you know, I can go out and meet real live people in the community. I was like, no, I will read about it. Um, You know, maybe some of it's astrology, but I think a big part of it is sort of like my family's influence on like that. Yeah, I think that they just taught me that's what reading is about, like preparing yourself for experiences. And I even, I remember one writer who was talking about, um, you know, when she got pregnant, she was looking for novels. I mean, this was maybe like almost 10 years ago. She was looking for novels where like the protagonist was very like viscerally pregnant and not like thinking about like, what does motherhood mean? But looking like, this is what it feels like. This is the way my body's changing. And she's like, there's tons of nonfiction about that. But there wasn't a lot of fiction about that at the time. And I think that's like starting to change. But I that just resonated so much with me that like, we both had this idea (laughs) that maybe, yeah, yeah, again, maybe from astrology, maybe from the way we were raised. Yeah. No, like, if I'm gonna go through something, I want to read about it first, just sort of theoretically prepare. Yeah. And I also like look to reading to, you know, help me shape my own experiences, but I have to have the experience first. Like I bought all the baby books. I read them before my kids came 
And none of it made sense until I was in it and then referred back to the books. So like, it didn't make sense to me. The words even didn't make sense to me until I had had the experience to go, oh, so this is the difference between, you know, when your baby is colicky and when your baby is what just expressing themselves. So I also find those answers and find that comfort and find that uh, so much in reading, but it has to come after for me. which is just such yeah. a funny thing. Oh, I love it. Right? It's like we're all just like, you know, experiencing and learning about the world in different ways. Or it even makes me think yeah. I'm a little bit ashamed to admit that I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. And I've kind of loved hearing her talk about, you know, when she was so young and writing her first songs, she was writing these love songs. But she was like, I hadn't been in love. And I was kind mm-hmm. of just drawing from the genre and sort of like, what must it feel like to look back not just as a reader, but as a writer and be like, wow, I was like writing about all these heady, you know, <sighs> adult things when I was a teenager and I had no idea. Yes. Yes. By the way, you're in a very safe Swifty space here. So don't, don't worry. We are big fans. <laughs> yeah. I just found that really fascinating. And it seemed like it was a pattern for you, not just um, writing this book, but, but that that's how you, you know, faced anything that was coming at you an experience that you wanted to have or an experience that you were going to have that the preparation before was was important and I just find that so interesting because for me it's the preparation afterwards as, as if that makes sense but no I love that yeah there's no yeah. one there's no one right way of doing it yeah but it does seem to be that there's kind of two camps not to be too reductive but there are the camps of the people who fully actualize themselves in their minds before and then it's consistent and then the ones who actualize themselves with action and then use that research and use what they've learned to integrate it it's just really interesting to me I find that really fascinating yeah well a good I mean so just to keep riffing on this idea a really good friend of mine sort of started coming out during the pandemic, during lockdown. Mm -hmm. So a lot of her, for a while there, a lot of her exploration had to be theoretical and intellectual. She was actually sort of denied the opportunity to be like, (laughs) okay, I'm having these realizations about myself and I'm going to go out there and meet people. It was like, I'm having these realizations about myself and (laughs) I'm here in my house (laughs) thinking about them. I'll have to ask her you know, if, if when she actually went out there, you know, and the world opened up again, if her experiences kind of matched up with what she expected, or if she has enjoyed more reading now. Now, yeah, do ask, do ask and do report back because I am really fascinated. And, and it's not my lack of preparation before. It's just a matter of like, I can't fully know it until I'm there. And then reading other things like I know then what to discard and go okay this is me this speaks to me this doesn't speak to me so I find it really interesting Uh, um I emailed you as soon after I finished the book and I told you that it made me cry though especially the the end the last chapter I'm a Scorpio um, that's all I want I know you (laughs) that's what I want to talk about I want to make other people cry what okay talk to me wait and so you I think you said double Scorpio yeah Mm -hmm. yeah what sun and moon 
Mm-hmm. I love it. So uh, that brought you joy, that you brought me <laughs> to tears. Tell me about that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I don't even, I mean, once I dated someone who was like, I haven't cried in 10 years and I was like, hello, <laughs> I, I you were like, I mean, maybe it even goes back. I have never thought before about sort of the two strategies that you were talking about, right. Of like ways of experiencing the world. And I do think that for me, I'm like, are you really experiencing the world? If you're not crying, <laughs> like what an essential, yeah, that I can agree so with I, you on. I think as a writer, I'm like, I mean, if the world is not making you cry, are you even in it? Um, but I think as a writer, I, I'm like, I want, I want people to experience emotion. Like, you know, it's great that you cried, but I'm like, okay, I hope people laugh. I hope they cry. You know, I, I want them to be experiencing the emotions that I'm experiencing, which I think again, is sort of another reason that I read. I'm like, okay. I'm going through these emotions privately. Is anyone else out there feeling these things? And if there's a writer, like I just um, recently read Gina Chung's Sea Change and I've been really obsessed with it. I don't know if it has crossed your... It has not yet. I don't know. No. And yet. Um, but it's sort of a very sweet novel about a woman, I think in her early 30s, who's like stuck at this dead end job at an aquarium where her father worked and her father's missing. And like, she's sort of like, someone told me that there was this good re- review of it that sums it up in one sentence, which says like, I'm one octopus friend away from a mental breakdown. So she's very close to this octopus at the aquarium. Um, but I think that like reading that book and sharing it with some friends, we've talked about how it's a lot about sort of like some of the disappointments that come from being in your thirties of being like, whoa, like, where is my life? Is it where I thought it would be? You know, all your Mm. friends, like some friends are, their careers are taking off and some friends are having babies and families. And it's like, how do you, when you're all going off in different directions, how do you remain friends? How do you not judge yourself? And I think it's been wonderful reading and talking about that book with friends because we're like, oh, someone, now we know for certain that someone else feels the way that we do. You know, Gina Chen, who wrote this book. Yes. And then also, by the way, of like, as we share, we can talk about how we feel. Yes. Yeah. And uh, by the way, octop- octopi, they're having a real moment, aren't they? There's a lot yeah. of octopus books. And there's a documentary I watched that's really funny. Like my, so, my octopus friend? Is that the documentary? Yeah. Is that the documentary? I think so. I, it was like, yeah, it's very interesting that they're having a moment. I'm, ha- I'm happy for them. <laughs> Uh, I want to just go back to um, astrology a little bit more so you're I'm very I'm also very fascinated by people who are both the same sign sun and moon because my son they say for for people who don't know the sun is your personality but and maybe your outward personality and then the moon your moon sign is like kind of who you are inside how you process things like your innermost feelings that's your personality is is kind of more um uh, organized around that and mine are so different could not be any more different they hate each other (laughs) my sun and my moon but yours is the same so that also i wonder if that can contribute to that same feeling of like okay once i think about it it will feel right 
in my experience, right? That could be too, right? Yeah, I love, I love that. Well, and I mean, just as we're talking about astrology, I want to take the opportunity to say that the other thing that I loved is it's become such a you know contemporary stereotype that like queer people love astrology and like you know on the dating app that I was talking about Lex has like evolved to include you know your astrological sign front and center. Oh my gosh, um, I love that. But I loved that like you know Mary Casal writing her memoir in 1930 was like. I am a Gemini and this is how I relate to being a Gemini. Like I loved that. I was like, Oh, it's not just a contemporary thing. And like, you know, Mabel Hampton, who was, you know, very active from like the Harlem Renaissance up through the eighties and helping with the lesbian history archives in her archive boxes, there were astrology books. Um, and it just, you know, and then like Gloria Anz, I'll do it in the seventies talked about having Libra parties, like, and only inviting other Libras. And it's just like, Next year, maybe I'll expand it to like Libra, you know, rising and moon. And I I just love that as a thread. And like, you know, I haven't fully pieced together what that means. But I think part of it is just like, you know, if you're looking for answers in an unkind world, you know, if if religion's not going to take you in, you're really going to start yes. expanding sort of your spirituality and your belief system. Yeah, that is beautiful. Yes, I think that probably is part of the commonality of like looking for some guidance, some feeling of belonging. Like I, in this way, I belong amongst all Geminis. I belong amongst all Pisces, right? That that is um, a way to feel that and then feel like, okay, I'm on the right path. I think it's also for anyone who grapples with their identity in any way, even just like, am I, you know, am I free spirited or am I not free spirited? It's an you know, because sometimes you're like, well, this, was that just because I drank too much or, you know, whatever you could otherwise pin it on. Or maybe it was because I wasn't this way because I was a mother for, you know, a period of time. I was in that intense period of motherhood. So there is, there's always some, if you're really paying attention, there's always some confusion around identity. And I think that some of those things are helpful tools to kind of, you know, test yourself. Like, do I think this is right? Do I not think this is right? Well, yeah, right? and in the same vein, astrology is a nice tool to talk about your personality without changing it. You know, so much of the personality sort of diagnoses or self-help, like when you're like talking about your attachment style, yes. so yes. much of that is often with a view to trying to, trying to improve or change. And with astrology, Heal. I'm Scorpio and I want to make people cry. End of story. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to become nicer um, or less emotional. It, it just is what it is. And I think that's nice yeah. about it too. There's no, I am this way and I, I'm working on it. It's just like, no, I am this way. <laughs> I love that, right? It's It's a way to kind of get at the core of who you are, the things you want to own for yourself. I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to just uh, close out with a, one more question about how I, so I, I came to know about this book because I knew you as a publicist that, which is your yeah. full-time job, as I mentioned in the, in the, in your bio and 
how do you feel being on the other side talking about your own book? I mean, I know all authors have to talk about their own books, but you are now really on the other side of doing, you know, executing what you set up for all your mm-hmm. other authors. How does it feel? I think in a funny way, and I, I, I would say that today I didn't do this as much, but I'm so used to being behind the scenes that I often end up trying to like interview the person who's interviewing me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very even like unconsciously able to turn the tables. Um, and actually the house that I'm staying in right now, not my house, belongs to a good friend of mine from college who is a scientist. She has her PhD in biology. And I think we always have you know, struggled to fully connect when it came to talking about our work and our passion. I think we were like, okay, we understand that we're both passionate in the same way, but like when you get into the nitty gritty of, you know, your lab research, I've never even been in a lab using the kind of equipment that she uses on a day-to-day basis, but she is on the academic job market right now. And she said this really beautiful thing where she was like, if I get nervous, I think about the fact that it's not about me, it's about the science. And like my job is to be, you know, the, I'm there to promote the science, to communicate it. I thought that was so beautiful. And I think helped me kind of tie together the two things, especially since like so much of my book is about other people's stories. I'm like, okay, when I have that urge to turn the tables and start asking you about like, oh, where, where are you right now? Are are you on vacation? Like, tell me about you. I think the thing that I remind myself is like, oh, I'm here to speak on behalf of these other stories and promote them and publicize them in a way. Well, that and that is a perfect way to, to bring it back to kind of the beginning, which is you managed to really do this great job of talking about these other people's stories really going into research and history and giving us a a kind of a a really complex view of a big topic, but also included yourself in it. So I love that that structure seems to both suit you and dare I say, help you grow or, or flourish into something else, right? Like the publicist into the author. And and then back again. (laughs) That's right. Uh, will you continue to write after this? I hope so. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. It's, well, people they, keep telling me really sweet lesbian stories that I didn't include. Um, I don't know if that's what I'm going to write about, but it's it's hard to imagine leaving them behind. Yeah. 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 Well. You can have multiple projects going on. You'll see something simmer, and then it takes some time to really kind of show itself. So, well, Lesbian Love Story is out now, a memoir in archives. Amelia, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. I really enjoyed our conversation, and thank you for kind of really putting yourself. I feel like I really got to know you even more in this interview, and thank you for doing that. I know Scorpios don't like to do that. (laughs) You only know what I want you to know. Yes. Well, that's okay. Even that's a start. Right. Thank you for having me and for your very thoughtful questions and preparation. It was nice to get to know you in a new capacity, too. Not just just email, not just... Somebody else's book. Right. My podcast, your book. Right. It's now this is my questions for you and what 
you sparked in me. I think I'm very transparent in my interviews. You'll know, like, even if the random Lex exchange is what what really spoke to me, you're going to hear about it. (laughs) Well, I feel like the next step is I need to interview you about something sometime soon. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) Thank you, Amelia.